Welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. ISFA exists to serve industry professionals involved in the fabrication of manufactured surfacing materials. With each episode, Behind the Surface inspires fabricators to take their business to the next level. Now with your host, Nancy Bush. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast. I'm Nancy Bush, and today I'm joined again by my good friend, Tim Sidoris, who's the president of Grand Onyx, a company dedicated to building world-class fabricators. Tim, how are you? Good, Nancy. Thanks for having me. We love having you. One of my favorites, for sure. I, you know, we're talking about efficiency today. We are. It's uh, it's Wait. a... Fab shops, fab shops not being efficient is that even possible oh yeah super rare very rare um they don't have anything else going on right that's all they have to worry about well there's just so much time for being at the beach like you are today right <laughs> sure sure Nancy. <laughs> anything for ISFA that's right. Uh, as long as the sun is shining somewhere, you don't need a beach. Who says you need a beach? Unless it's in St. Martin. And that's uh, that's another story. Fabricators at the beach. That makes more sense there. So tell me a little bit more about what the current reality really does look at, like all kidding aside. So the conversation is dramatically different than what it was a couple of years ago um, during COVID. We were breaking records, right? Like we had more revenue than we knew what to do with. We were investing in new machines, um, trying to hire as many people as we could. We staffed up. Um, It was record years for everybody that I've talked to. And even at the annual conference last year, like it was a resounding yes. We've had record years, right? And now um, I don't want today to be about doom and gloom, but we need to be prepared it goes the other way you've invested in these machines you have that capacity um what do we do right what do we do how do we get through it how do we get the most from the machines that we have how do we get the most from the operators that we have Uh, it's a new set of challenges that 18 months right like it is completely opposite so i'm guessing that you're not going to offer your fabricator chef boyardee for lunch am i right no right so that's in the article that's coming up uh so i started my career uh, with the second largest food producing company called conagra foods and i got to see firsthand i was on the technology team i got to see how a lot of different types of foods were made swiss miss snack pack um ready whip uh egg beaters Uh, the one that i will not eat is ravioli chef boyardee um, if you've seen a zombie movie and what they do to the humans, it's very similar. Just imagine a giant machine doing it right in front of you. <laughs> it sounds so appetizing, Tim. But the fellas, the, the, the leadership that led these machines were world-class. I mean, the things that I observed them doing, I mean, they would take a plant that was three months from being closed and turn it around and make it the best plant in the entire company. I mean, it was just amazing what this level of leadership did. And, and that's, 
focused on the people, the people in the process. That's the fastest, easiest way to make that they may change. And I just, I learned a lot of things that apply to fabricators and it's a, it's kind of a three-step process that we've encapsulated. Well, walk me through those. I'm anxious to hear more. Well, um, one thing that I was, I had the pleasure of doing is part of that leadership team. We would always have a lot of fun together and we went to a NASCAR race and you think, why is, why is he talking about NASCAR? Well, NASCAR is, has a lot of parallels to your operators. So I'm imagining the majority of people that are listening to this are entrepreneurs, like, right? Like we're visionaries, we're building teams, we're doing something amazing, we're creating jobs, we're taking stone and turning into something beautiful. Um, that's not an operator's mindset, right? Uh, when you think about NASCAR, it's, it's incredible to watch, right? Like these giant multi-million dollar machines that you feel in your bones, the rumble, it's just, it's exhilarating. And then it's the circles and the circles and the circles. It's just, I, I, I can't do it, right? And I would imagine a lot of entrepreneurs out there can't do it either, but operators, some of them actually enjoy it. Like they just like the disconnection. They like to just get in and run that machine. And if you give them the right opportunity and the right guidance, I mean, they'll run that machine like a NASCAR race. And it's incredible to watch if you guide them the right way. And that's kind of one thing that I learned um, was that process and how it overlaps with NASCAR. So really too, that's a, that's a story in right person, right place. Right, right. Um, the biggest takeaway is with NASCAR, what's the one thing that's going to stop the race? And the first thing you think of is it's a pileup, right? It's not. Mechanical a, failure, right? Is it mechanical failure? Uh, sometimes. Um, the biggest thing is when you stop keeping score. Oh. If you stop keeping score of the race, why are you going to be competitive? Why are you going to try to do well? Why are you going to push your machine to the limits? And that's one of the things I, I learned from this elite at ConAgra was that when you keep score, you know, and you, you commend the operator for what they're doing, they start to push the limits of these machines and it's incredible what they can do. So you've really changed, you've changed a repetitive process into a competitive process. Yep. Yep. We, um, and a lot of it too is, they realize that they're being observed and they want to do a good job, you know? And it, it, one of my favorite examples was when we had this, it was called line five. It made chocolate pudding. And I'll never forget. The engineer said, there's no way we could get it above 80%. And the guy that ran that machine, it was a competition across three shifts for a gas card, right? This multi-million dollar machine designed in 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 germany one of a kind and this operator gets it to 98 percent, and the engineers are just shaking their heads like how is this guy doing that and that was the root of this sop that was created 
this standard operating procedure that could be used with other people, right? Like the second and third shift that didn't know the magic dials to push the process to make, to, to push that machine to the limits. It gave them an understanding of what they needed to do differently. Well, maybe Ricky Bobby's dad wasn't so far off. If you're not first, you're last. That's right. right. That's right. I love that. And that's, yeah. the second, that's the second step, right? Is creating that competition. I love that. Yeah, Nancy. So step two is once you're measuring it. And one thing I want to point out too is, is a lot of the, the machine providers um, have the downtime tracking software. So you know what's going on. So, so um, make sure you reach out to your provider. Um, I think a lot of them are also ISFA sponsors. So reach out to them, ask them what they're doing. They're on the cutting edge of a lot of that software. But once you can measure it, you can manage it. And once you make the operator aware of it, you know, you can start to create a competition. One of my favorites was we had a conversation with an operator with a stone fabricator and we recorded it without, we tracked it without him knowing it. And then a couple of days later, we said, Hey, we noticed that your changeovers between jobs from one slab to the next takes, you know, 10 to 12 minutes. How fast do you think you can do it? And then we just shut up. And then he said, I think I can do it in eight. So he said, great, let's try it. Let's see what happens. So three weeks later, we get the report. It wasn't eight. It was five. So he was changing between jobs in five minutes. And what that did, so there's a, there's a general manufacturing term called machine utilization. And that's something that you definitely want to track on your machines because then you know if you're getting the most out of them. What machine utilization is, is it's how much are you utilizing that machine during the day, all right? So before this operator, we gave him the challenge, the machines were only running 65% of the day. And if you think about that, that's almost three hours the machine isn't producing slabs. You've got this quarter of a million, half million dollar piece of machine with operators sitting there doing nothing for three hours out of the day. So how do you maximize that? And with this simple process change, no investment, and by him keeping track of it and shortening those jobs, changeovers, it went to 85%. So he added another 90% of production just by measuring it and then keeping track of it and almost kind of a, a, just an internal challenge with the operator. That's amazing, just in measuring. I wonder yep. how often it happens that shops um, add equipment unnecessarily? Um, well, in this particular scenario, we, that was what the client wanted to do. He wanted to bust down a wall and add another wet saw. And we said, eh, something doesn't seem right. So that's when we tracked it to be sure that he was getting the most out of his machine. Well, it sounds more exciting. I'm just going to throw out there. It's kind of like buying a new track or, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's a lot, it's a lot sexier. Let's blast this fall. Let's put in a new machine and let's go. It's go time. But if you're going into an economy like this, especially the way the interest rates are, you need to be confident. Yes. You have to know it's the right decision because you don't want to tie an anchor to your ankle, right? Be confident before you make that decision. Not saying that you shouldn't, but just, just be sure of it. I love that.
So the second step is creating that competition. Yep. Which we kind of just covered. Um, the, uh, the part that I think is often forgot and hard, hardest to do is step three, where you document the process. So pretend your operator is breaking records, right? Um, what if the manufacturing facility down the street offers him double his pay? That stuff's happening every day, right? It's, it's the, the dreaded, the dreaded turnover. It happens. How do we prepare for it? And I want to include a couple cheat codes that I had also learned um, in my pudding and food days. Uh, the first one is it's super cheap, super easy to do. Set up a camera. So you can get a wise camera, an SD card, less than a hundred bucks, plug it in and just watch it, right? Like you can observe um, inefficiencies, the way things move around, the way it sits and waits, like you can actually watch it. Um, you can fast forward some of that. Now, you know, we're entrepreneurs, right? Like we're visionaries. We don't want to take the time. So here's my favorite sheet code. Find a local college that has an industrial or mechanical engineering program. Okay. These guys are begging for projects and they will do it for free. Okay. So what does that mean? So call your local university, your local community college. Say, I've got this machine that I want to understand how to make it run faster. And I would love to have just a, a small engineering project done. Just somebody observe what we could do to make it run better and create a standard operating procedure. And I mean, you could start by giving them the camera footage, right? Like, hey, here's a link, download it. Tell me if you want to do it. And these professors are begging for opportunities to give their students real life examples, real life experiences, because there's only so much they can learn in a textbook. And so you give 10 kids, you know, a tour of the floor, and you're going to get all these brilliant ideas and observations from them that you didn't know about. And if you do it right, it won't cost you any money. And you'll have standard operating procedure that you can give the next operator if, you know, the dread turnover decides to visit. How do you deal with, uh, you know, existing staff and the HR thing? I know in the past you've you've spoken quite a lot about um, various, you know, monitoring type software, and uh, it ended up that the information that was gleaned from it, you know, it wasn't it was intentional to help the person in the role, and so really, you know setting that expectation before would you always recommend that you know using that as a as sort of a, a a lead in to the why you know with your staff right because all of a sudden now they got these cameras or or you know <laughs> how does yes. that, how does that work you yeah. know how do you how do you keep the status quo big brother right nobody wants to be nobody wants to be babysat exactly. um i would lead with the term confidence so if the recession does come, again, avoiding doom and gloom, we need to remain confident. We need to show confidence to our team. And that's how I would lead with it. I would say, we're gonna get through this no matter what happens. And what I need to do is I need to remove as much waste as possible 
as much cost as possible from our operations. Now, you're a valued member of this team. I need you. You've been with me for X amount of years, but I want to make sure that we're removing as much cost. So if sales does take a dip, I can keep everybody because here's what's going to happen. When the recession's over, we're going to have the same team. We're going to have great, better processes. So we're going to have better margins. We're going to be a healthier company. And the guys that aren't doing this, and I would, you know, I would say this to your people, the guys that aren't doing this are going to struggle and they might close. But guess what? When the economy comes roaring back, we're going to be ready. I love it. That is a great example. Perfect. Um, so tell me, Tim Sidoris, how does your companies help Fabs in all this, right? I mean, a lot of this you can do on your own, but uh, you know, you're highly focused as a company on, on all of these things and bringing all these tools and resources to fabricators. Tell me a little bit more what that looks like. Well, I think there's only so much you can do as a business owner and you have to have the right who's that can help. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I absolutely love this industry. It's one of the most complex, sophisticated industries. And I love the people that do it. I mean, just the grit that's involved. Um, and I think it's heavily underserved in technology. I've just, I've, I'm a firm believer that with the right team and the right technology, your revenue and margins can just be incredible. And whether it's me or somebody else, have help ready if you start to have problems. Don't try to do it on your own. In 2008, 2009, I was on a kind of a special team for the Small Business Development Center in Ohio. And um, the state actually paid me a very minimal consulting fee, but I was helping businesses every day just get through it and ask for help. Don't try to do it on your own. And this was a great resource to start. You know, lean on, lean on the people in the community, lean, go to the roundtable sessions, talk to other people, figure out what's going on, be ready, communicate more than what you have before. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Tim. As always, so much information. Um, I encourage those that are listening to check out your article that's in the Q2 edition of Countertops and Architectural Surfaces Magazine which should be in your mailbox soon. If it's not, then you can go to ispanow.org and uh, register to, to receive it. Um, we Our next roundtable, speaking of roundtables, is happening in May, the 9th through the 11th. I think you're coming. Are you coming to the Anaheim? That's the plan as of today. That's awesome. So if you register and show up, uh, visit and Perch showroom and we'll be at the Cosentino new showroom there and our friends from Granite Gold are going to uh, have great demonstration on quartz scratch repair, something every fabricator needs to be really good at, as well as porcelain um, repair, chip repair, so great, great skills to add on to and business models around that restoration sort of um, conversation. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there and with shops being so busy today, uh, that's kind of a pain. But I think as things slow down, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity um, in those business models for sure. So check that out May 9th through the 11th. If you're not a member of VISPA, there's ways to become a member quickly and 
visiting a round table is a great start. So thanks again, Tim, for your time today and all of your, I guess, just your support of the industry is amazing. And uh, as much as I know you love the industry, it loves you back. So thank you. Absolutely, Nancy. Thanks for listening. To hear more in-depth viewpoints, gain actionable insights and powerful tools to help you succeed, subscribe to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. To learn more about ISFA, visit our website at www.isfanow.org.